Thank you so much for joining us today for our LifePoint podcast. At LifePoint, we believe everyone's welcome, nobody's perfect, and with God, anything's possible. Hope you enjoy. Well, to all of our LifePoint friends and family, thank you guys so much for being here this morning. How y'all doing? This side's alive. This side's dead. Calling you out. Just kidding. But if you're watching with us online or if you're new with us for the first time in this room, thank you so much for being here with us today. We're so privileged that you would join us. My name is Andrew Garcia. If you do not know me, I'm one of the teaching pastors here at LifePoint. And if you've never met our senior and founding pastors, Danny and Rachel Rivers, Please do yourself a favor and find them at some point. Thank them for their dedication and commitment to making LifePoint the home that it is for so many of us. This place would not be what it is without them. This place feels like everyone's welcome, nobody's perfect, and that anything's possible with Jesus because of their leadership and guidance. So if you see them, thank them for that. Now today, we are jumping right into a new series. And she was talking about fireballs. We're not talking about hell and brimstone stuff. So don't freak out. But we're gonna set the stage today with Jesus teaching, as he often was, to a very familiar audience, the religious leaders. And the religious leaders and Jesus had a super strange relationship. Like it was always strained. They were always trying to, they were like trying to go at Jesus's throat and he was trying to get at their heart because Jesus constantly challenged their self-concept and always invited a new perspective in to help them realize that their history and their identity should be viewed in a new light. And so he challenged all that they knew to be true. And what I love about Jesus personally is no one is safe with Jesus. Like believer and non-believer alike, Jesus has a way of challenging us and convicting us with his words. Like Jesus just spoke with the kind of truth, with the kind of authority that just like got to the heart. And if you read his words, you actually see that happening to, to us like still now today. And so across all four of the gospel accounts, we find Jesus always debating with religious leaders. And one particular account that we're gonna be looking at today has this really interesting interaction. And we're gonna be sliding into the conversation on the back end of Jesus having this debate about the feasibility of life after death. And it was interesting because one group of them believed that, you know, Jesus and, and, or God and the gods, depending on what they believed, that we were just here for their entertainment, that we were kind of like the punchline of like a bad cosmic or divine joke. And then there was like another group of them who they actually believed that we were actually here for the goodness of God or the gods. And that once we died though, like lights out, like that, that was it. You served your only purpose. And in the midst of the crowd is a man, a man that's called a scribe, but we're going to call him a teacher because he was probably somebody who really knew the law well. And I can only imagine that in this passage, he's been captivated by the words of Jesus that he's been listening to Jesus teach and Jesus is teaching with such mind-bending logic that it's bringing all of his walls down, that he's becoming really open and vulnerable to what Jesus is saying and he's leaning in hard. And have you ever met somebody that's just kind of done that to you? Like you're having this conversation and whatever it is about them, your walls come down, the walls of your heart, the walls of your mind. And it's like you're willing to share and have open and honest conversation with them in a way that you've like never done with anybody else. And so this man, I think, is doing that with Jesus. And he asked this question to Jesus that if you grew up in church for any length of time, you've heard this before, but he says, Jesus, of all the commands, because I know that there are so many in the Torah, 
Which is the greatest commandment? If we were to paraphrase that, it would be what is most important? Jesus, what is the most important command? And and this is a really profound question because this is actually a question of priorities. In other words, Jesus, when I look at my life, how I've been raised, what it is that I've been taught, as I continually grow up and find my values colliding and at odds with each other, Jesus, what should I be valuing the most? Because when priorities collide, decisions must be made. And we have to decide what's most important to us. And so Jesus, of all that I've learned to be true, of all that I've learned to value, what is the most important? And Jesus begins with the response that his audience would have heard and could recite in their sleep, the Shema. He says, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. And they would have known what was coming next right after this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And I imagine in this moment that there's kind of like this subtle but audible sigh because they feel like, okay, we've got this. We've been doing that. They feel like they can live up to that standard, that reality. But then Jesus takes a breath and goes off script and he pivots and he says, the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. And this is so important because we have to note the language here because the implication was not that this was seconds in importance, it was simply second in sequence. And Jesus was saying, I know that you asked for one thing, but the one is actually two and the two make up the one. Love the Lord your God, but also love your neighbor as yourself. There's no greater commandment singular than these. That was Jesus' response. And I can see the smile slowly turning into frowns with disappointment. But the teacher, I think the teacher slowly begins to smile. And then he says something that I think would make Jesus laugh. He says, you are right, teacher. To which Jesus must have been like, of course I am, bro, I'm Jesus. And it's funny because he sees Jesus like I think so many of us do. That Jesus was just another great man with good character and great wisdom. And he's just some other rabbi. And oh man, what a great rabbi he is. And I can agree with what he's saying. He sees Jesus peer to peer without realizing who he's talking to. Right on, Jesus. You have truly said that he is one and there is no other beside him. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength and to love one neighbor, one's neighbor as oneself. In other words, and then he keeps kind of going and, and he says this, Jesus kind of lets him continue and he says, is much more than, that all of this is much more than, that in other words, Jesus, if I had to prioritize life, if I had to prioritize what should be valued most, Jesus, I agree with your value system. And so he's openly saying, Jesus, I agree with your priorities because all of that is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And in this moment, this man, even though he doesn't know it yet, even though he doesn't know who Jesus is, has actually embraced Jesus' value system. 
And he's on this trail, he's on this path that if he would just continue digging deeper, opening up his mind to this way of thinking, he would be in for a real surprise. And he would arrive at a destination that would change his life forever. And what's so incredible is the text says that when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, that he had put two and two together, that he had thought it through and through, like I don't know what happened physically, but I can only imagine that Jesus maybe asked him to come a little bit closer from the crowd and, and leaned into him and just whispered to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. You are not far from the kingdom of God meaning that the kingdom of God is not far from you. Over the next several weeks, we're gonna be unpacking a story, a true story, one that should have died in Nero's Rome, but it didn't. And it's a story of Jesus as narrated by Simon Peter, Jesus' most famous apostle. And what's so interesting about Peter's story is that he really, if you, if you read it, it's honestly just kind of quite embarrassing. Like if I had to write a narrative about myself, I would not include every single one of my failures. Yet time and time again, we see Peter doing just that. And it's a story that Peter would have been telling for 30 years. You see, Peter had followed Jesus' earthly ministry and then traveled 30 years following the resurrection, retelling this story as it happened because his greatest failures paled in comparison to the greatest story ever told, the story of Jesus of Nazareth. And Peter's life would have both been like super exciting and exhausting. Like he would have been in and out of trouble because there were people who wanted to silence the message that other people were inviting him to bring. So in and out of city, dodging arrest after arrest, suffering for his faith in Jesus, being beaten for his faith in Jesus, constantly being asked questions like, what was Jesus like? Can you tell me the story when? Do you recall what Jesus said then? What did he say? What did he do? And while we can't be entirely sure how Peter's last message was recorded, I think it would have happened the last time that he was imprisoned in Rome, Nero's Rome, awaiting trial, knowing that he probably was never going to leave this city alive again. He decides to tell his story one last time. And what's so interesting is normally Peter would probably tell his story to an audience, a, a, a big audience, a crowd, but I think this time he would have chosen to give, his, to give his, his story to an audience of one, his traveling companion, John Mark. And we know Mark as the gospel writer, Mark, and Mark had been one of Peter's traveling companions over the last several years. And you see, Peter, Peter would have been an uneducated man. No formal education. He would not have known to, how to read and write. That was not what happened with anybody who was part of the rural life. And his family was, were, were fishermen by trade. So Peter was literally a fisherman who eventually became, for Jesus, a fisher of men. And what's interesting is in the first century, Peter would have been like a really big fish to catch because he was the leader of this burgeoning movement called Christianity. And now Nero, Nero had, had Peter in his grasp. And I think Peter and Mark knew that Peter's story was so important that it wasn't just for this generation, but it was for every generation to come. And so one last time, Mark sits down with Peter. After their year or two of traveling together, Mark probably having written down several of Peter's stories from time to time, 
And he convinces Peter to give his story in full one more time that comes to us as the Gospel of Mark. And it's interesting because if you read the Gospel of Mark, it's really, it's chaotic. Like it's out of order. And in some parts, it's, the stories are told with excruciating detail because Peter, Peter was not like a story, Peter wasn't, wasn't a teacher, he was a storyteller. And so as he calls up memories, I think he finds himself getting lost in, in, in the experiences that had transformed his life. And Peter gives us parables and conversations, skipping chronological order, kind of just mind dumping his experience to Mark. And Mark, I could just imagine Mark trying to take it all in as fast as he could because the words of Peter are priceless because this was a man who spent time with Jesus. And so Peter, Peter begins with the end in mind as if to say, I'm not sure how much time we're going to have, Mark, so let me just start with the end. And when we read the Gospel of Mark, I, I think we have to put on this kind, this kind of mindset that the words are coming from the lips of Peter himself because if you're, if, you're, if you're not a believer anymore, maybe you were a believer and you walked away from faith or maybe you've never believed in Jesus before. Whatever your reason is for having a lack of faith, whatever journey you've kind of, of walked along, like I know that there are some people who have real stories of why they've turned away from Jesus and I think if we had sat down at a table and we would share your story, that I too, if I had found myself in your shoes, would have walked away from faith as well. Because if what happened to you had happened to me, I'm sure it would have broken me too. But as we read the Gospel of Mark, we don't want to shut out the words that are being written just because we think it's the Bible. When Mark was recording Peter's words, they didn't realize they were writing the Bible. Mark was simply trying to document Peter's experience with Jesus. And so as we work through this series, let's just work with what's in front of us. And while you're going to have some questions, let's just, let's just follow the path out, laid out for us by Mark, because this is a story of two men, maybe sitting in a jail cell, knowing that their time is limited, and Mark is going to take everything that Peter dumps out, these experiences of someone who spent two to three years with Jesus, and then spent the last 30 years recounting these stories, even at the risk of his life, daily for choosing to follow Jesus. And there's gonna be some times when Peter's gonna say something that we kind of just like tilt our head at. With all of our modern sensibilities, we're gonna be like, right, Peter, are you sure? Like you, you actually believe that's true? You really believe, Peter, that that happened? To which I think Peter would just look at us and, and shrug. Like, look, I, I can only tell you what I saw with my very own eyes a story that right now has me in chains, a story in which I have put all my confidence and I'm not in fear of losing my life, a story that reminds me that God is near to me and that God is also near to you. And here we are 2,000 years later reading his time in his life with Jesus of Nazareth. And so he begins. The beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, to which our skepticism jumps up like right away, like, I'm sorry, Peter, what? You believe Jesus is who? You believe that your rabbi, your teacher, the man that you did life with, you ate with, you slept with, you had meals with, you know, you did, a you did things on a regular basis with, you think this man is, is the Son of God? Like, come on, bro. 
Like, you, you don't, you don't, you're waiting execution. Like, you don't have to stick to the script anymore. You can change it up for us. You can tell us who Jesus really was. And I think Peter would just smile and look at us and say, this is the truth. I am sure that Jesus is the son of God. Like, you don't think I didn't have moments of doubt? You don't think there weren't moments where I thought that either Jesus or myself was a little crazy? But I can't deny what I saw with my own eyes. As Peter tells us, when they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to the judge who judges justly. I was there when Jesus was arrested before being crucified. I resisted his arrest. But Jesus entrusted himself to the providence of his heavenly father. Am I sure? Of course I am. Because even though I couldn't understand it, even though I didn't see it, even as the tears flooded my eyes and made it hard for me to see when I thought that I had been deceived and that all hope had been lost, I was there. I saw that Jesus took our sins on him on the cross. And though I didn't understand it at the time, it all came together. And this is why I've spent the last 30 years talking about Jesus. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross. And I couldn't see how much of a sinner I was. And what was crazy is Jesus was always inviting people who I knew who I was better than to follow him. And I couldn't see what was happening, what he was doing until the end when my eyes were open to the reality of who I was and how much I really needed him. And he, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. I saw the empty tomb. I had conversations with my living, resurrected savior and rabbi. And I'm confident that his story can change everything. And I believe in Jesus, not just because it's nice to believe, but because I can't deny what my eyes have seen. And so I think Mark would be like, okay, can we, what about the time when you met Jesus? Because Peter can't seem to stick to a story. He's kind of all over the place. And we can miss this when we read the Gospels. We can get lost in the chaos, which is one of the challenges of reading the Bible. Because when we read it, normally we come to the Bible with this predetermined intent. That it's for application, inspiration, or for direction. And we immediately open this book and, and we jump right in like, okay, God, if you're real, give me something to know that you're here right now. Like, God, I'm having a hard time. Give me a word. What do I do in this situation? Where can I find um, hope in this difficult circumstance? Where do I go from here? And we jump in reading sound bites of stories that we like, like, like the parable of the prodigal son because God forgives and God is like the father who took the son back. We like the stories like the woman caught in adultery because Jesus forgives her and then just says, go and sin no more. We like the stories of, of the good Samaritan because someone shows mercy to someone who may not have shown mercy to them. But all those pieces come together to illustrate the bigger picture. And we can miss that if we don't stop and soak in the story in its entirety. And on this side of the cross, 
I think we really get caught up in the message for what Jesus came to do for us, meaning eternity. Like when I was growing up, if you were to ask me what the big picture of Christianity was, it was, well, Jesus went and died for my sins, so, so he went to that cross so that I could repent and be baptized and have new life in him and be filled with the Spirit so I could meet him in heaven. So that now that I believe, I just need to do my best to be a good person while I'm waiting. As if life was all about, you know, just this waiting game until Jesus comes back. And if I had said that with Peter kind of sitting across the table from me, he would have like looked at me perplexed like, bro, you're a fool. Not, not because that's not true, but because that was not the point. You see, Peter would have said, yes, faith is personal. Yes, there's an eternal component to faith, but there is something for you in the here and now that you can live every day with the assurance that God is near and that the time is now the time has come Jesus said the kingdom of God has come near this was the meaning of the good news of God not just that we have something to look forward to after death but that we can live life richly now that we can be free and embrace a new perspective that liberates us from the bondage of this world. And we can miss that on our side of the cross. But Jesus, when he was alive doing his earthly ministry, he was letting people know you can have freedom now because the kingdom is here now. I am ushering in something new now. The time is now. Live in the reality today of what you believe. I'm ushering in tomorrow. And the cross and the resurrection simply punctuated what Jesus was teaching. Live today knowing, impacting the world around you because you understand the kingdom is near, that God is here now. And Jesus was saying, I'm ushering in the kingdom, the kingdom of God, my kingship, my right and my way of ruling because I, the king, have come. And where I go, my kingdom comes with me. And that's not all. When you follow me, you become my heirs. And Peter and his audience would have assumed that the kingdom of God was just for the kingdom of Israel. But they quickly realized that that wasn't what, that wasn't what Jesus was teaching. He was telling something entirely different. He was saying, inherit the kingdom and pick up the authority I bring and bestow to carry out a kingdom that has no borders that is for all people, regardless of language and looks and lineage, I am bringing about a future that the world has been waiting for, a kingdom of the heart and a kingdom of conscience. Jesus constantly taught in a way that was counterintuitive to what was. He constantly challenged the status quo and pushed back against cultural norms. And he was the kind of king that didn't ask his subjects to lay down their life for him. He laid down his life for them. And he was bringing in a new era, a new age. The old was passing away and something new had come, a new covenant, a new arrangement between God and all of mankind. And Peter would have said, but this kingdom required something of you. He would have said, there's a catch and this is what I heard Jesus say. The kingdom, the time has come, 
Jesus said, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. And if you grew up like I did, the word repent can give you PTSD. Because you think of hands being laid on you and like being forced and shoved to the ground or like prophets like with their eyes, they're shaking and their eyes are rolling into the back of their head or preachers, fiery preachers screaming across you from their throne like hell is near. But that wasn't the message that Jesus came to bring. And that's not how we should interpret repentance. You see, John the Baptist had prepared the way for the hearts to be clean and for the people to be purified. But Jesus came and said, I need you to embrace and repent with a new way of thinking. I need you to embrace a new perspective, the kingdom of conscience that I have come to usher in. Jesus said, change your worldview, see a higher perspective, a different direction that will change everything entirely. Because if you can't let go of what is, of who you are, if you can't let go of old ways of thinking and old identities, then you're going to miss out on what it is that I've come to bring. But, but, but if you embrace this radical new way of thinking, if you embrace this radical new way of seeing yourself and experiencing the presence of God, then you will see that the kingdom of God is near and it is now. And this, this is such incredible news. Like depending on how you walked into this place today, what you need to know is Jesus didn't care about the past that you carried to him. Jesus didn't judge the man or woman that stood before him. Jesus knew that if they would experience my words and put them into practice in their lives, that something transformational could take place. And in Jesus' kingdom, everyone is invited to participate in it. Jesus constantly opened the door wider and wider to accept anyone and everyone who was willing to hear what it is that he had to bring. And it's funny because Mark's remarks of how Peter decided to follow Jesus can kind of throw us for a loop. Like it says, as Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon, Simon being Peter and his brother Andrew, casting a net into the lake for they were fishermen. And it preaches well because there are sermons that will say faith only and faith alone. But they miss the part of the story that we actually catch details of in Luke and in John. Like we just see Simon and Andrew dropping everything that they have and just straight up going and following Jesus. But faith always has substance. And I think Peter would smile when he was telling this part of the story because he's not actually focusing on himself. He wants to, to skip those details. And again, we have to capture those back in John and back in Luke. Because Peter doesn't want to just drop everything. He wants to continue the story. But Peter actually took Jesus fishing, an encounter that gave him enough faith to take the next step of faith. And that's why Jesus had told him, come and follow me, and I will send you out to fish for people. And I don't know what version of Christianity you grew up with. Because I know that there are so many different approaches and perspectives to Christianity, but what I think Peter, who spent time with Jesus, Peter, who spent 30 years of his life 
living this faith out would have you and me know is that the arrival of Jesus was good news. And if your version of Christianity was not good news, then I don't think you have Peter's version. And if the Christianity that you, that you had was so easy to walk away from, was so easy to give up, was so easy to leave, to stop believing, then I think Peter would look at me and you and you'd say, would you just give me an opportunity to share my story? To let me show you what my version looks like. Because it's not something that I've read It's something that I experienced. And there is good news for you because God came near, which means you are never far from him, no matter who you are. I think that's why Jesus tells us to repent and believe the good news. This is what Jesus is calling us to do, repent, metanoia. It's a change in one's mind. And then to believe to believe is pestuo, to fully entrust, to, it's almost to give, to surrender over to. This is how Jesus' kingdom is one of heart and of conscience. And he's saying, I need you to prioritize relationship, not religion, not rules, because love will lead the way better than law. But the question is, who will Jesus be to me? Who will Jesus be to you? Is Jesus just a good man? Or will Jesus become a way of life? Was Jesus just a good teacher with great character? Or is he the son of God? And that's the crossroads that so many of us will find ourselves at. Because I know it's, the character of Jesus is, is, is easy to swallow. But the identity of Jesus is what, is what chokes us up. Because if Jesus is only a, a teacher, a, a great man, then we can pick and choose what we want to believe in that he's full of grace, that he comes only with love, that he loves us as we are. And that's true, but that's not not the whole story. And so many of us want a Jesus that will agree with us, that will let us slide. But Jesus, Peter's Jesus would tell us that he loved you and me so much more than leaving us as we are. That when we would come and encounter his love, when we would embrace his way of living, give ourselves over to him, testing his words in the reality of our life day by day, week by week, over a lifetime, that something about our worldview would change, that we would be impacted so deeply, so richly, that like Peter, we could never turn and walk away. Are you looking for truth or are you just searching for an excuse? Are we looking for authentic relationship or are we just seeking religion? Jesus challenges the believer and non-believer alike. Jesus has come to transform our lives, to help us change direction, live out a new kingdom, not to continue to walk in our own. And the reason that Peter would say Jesus is such good news is because God came near, which means no matter who you are or where you are, God is never far. And he's come to establish something new here and he can come and establish something new in your life today. Like whether you realize it or not, whether you feel it or not, you are not far. And if you have doubts, I think Peter would say, you don't think I didn't have doubts too? But Peter's like, my story is just getting started. 
And then I think Peter would look at us and he would raise his hand and just say, can I, can I just say one more thing? I think that you should know that if you had doubts, let me tell you, I had doubts too. As a matter of fact, I even denied and walked away. And he would say, you need to understand that's part of my story. That I too denied Jesus. And if you don't always get following Jesus right, don't worry, I didn't either. But I experienced the grace and the love and the mercy of a king and I could never go back. And we're gonna look more at that later. But for now, I think it's enough for us to know that the time has come, that the kingdom of God is near. And the question for you and the question for me is going to be, will we turn in his direction? Will we be open to explore, open to, to follow what it is that he has to say, open to, okay, God, let me repent and believe the good news. Because if you are, it will change everything. Can we pray? Heavenly Father, God, we just come before you, Lord, today in this house. God, there are so many stories that are in this room. So many people, God, all from different walks of life. And some of us who are trying to explore faith, figure out who you are and what you should mean to us, we're trying to prioritize what, val what we should value most in our life. And we've had some things, some baggage, some hurts, some habits, some hangups that have broken us in a deep way. Some circumstances, God, that hurt our hearts, some people who have done us dirty, even some religious people who have said and spoke words over us that were poison to our soul. But help us to see that that was not the version of Christianity that you came to bring. That was not the good news, the hope that you have for us. We can embrace something new and living and alive and fresh in you. And as we explore you, through the words of Peter, accounted by, by the gospel writer Mark, help us to see you in a new light, in a new way, with new depth, with fresh perspective that would challenge us, that would change us. Help us right now to recognize that you are near. Help us to live out the kingdom of conscience and the kingdom of heart that you have come to bring. In Jesus' name, amen. Hope you enjoyed the podcast today. If this ministry has impacted you in any way and you'd like to help us continue to reach others, please visit lifepointsa.com slash give to make a donation. We hope you have a great rest of your week and we hope to see you soon at one of our Sunday worship experiences. God bless.